May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. When I was growing up, both my sets of grandparents were fortunate to have homes big enough that we could all go and stay there. On both sides of my family, I have a lot of cousins and many of my fondest memories of growing up are the time spent in my grandparents' homes. But if I'm honest, the memories of holidays at my maternal grandparents' place are warmer than those from the time spent with the other grandparents. We called my mother's parents Grandaddy and Bumper, and they lived abroad all their lives, and when they retired to their home in rural England, they packed it with beautiful things that they had brought back from their life overseas, along with the china, glass and family heirlooms that they had inherited from their respective parents. Granny and grandfather, my father's parents, also had a lot of beautiful things, even some glasses they called wondrous glass because they were so beautiful. And the two sets of grandparents had very different approaches to life. Grandaddy and Bumper adopted an approach where there was no point in having beautiful, precious things unless they took them out of the cupboard and used them. So even when we as little children of no more than six joined them at the dinner table for a big family meal, they would serve the food on their beautiful antique china plates from Normandy and the drinks would be poured into turquoise blue glass from when they lived in Malta. The table was decorated with gifts from the years they spent overseas. I particularly remember a pair of Maltese silver dolphins that graced their table and a pair of delicately carved wooden birds from Ghana and a silver pheasant from I'm not sure where. And it won't surprise you to hear that when you sit a six-year-old at an oak table with a place set with antique china and beautiful glass, things are going to get broken and the table will be watermarked. All that happened and there are glue marks on most of those plates and glasses now. My other grandparents' precious things were kept under lock and key. We ate off the less posh china and I don't recall ever seeing the wondrous glass put to use. When they died and my father and his siblings were sharing out their parents' possessions, everything was in great condition. But I didn't really recognise any of it. None of it held much meaning for me. When given precious gifts, Grandaddy and Bumper's instinct was to share them. And in sharing them, they shared the stories of love and friendship behind the gifts they'd been given. When in my kitchen, I now use the pottery bowls from Malta that I inherited, I think of the women who made them at the Malta potteries and whose stories my grandmother told me. My grandparents received what they'd been given and they offered it to others. So the number of people who enjoyed it, the impact, if you like, of those things was multiplied a thousand times over. Granny and grandfather's things were in pristine condition, but their impact never changed or grew. They hold no stories for me. They're like a blank page in my relationship with those grandparents. In tonight's parable, Jesus invites his listeners to consider what we are called to do with the gifts and talents we are given. Do we hide them under the mattress for fear that they might get broken or in some way diminished? Or do we bring them out and use them as an opportunity for building relationships and connections with others? As you consider how you use your gifts, because this isn't really just a story about money, note the detail in the story Jesus tells. 
He says, the master gives to each according to their ability. God gives to each of us what is appropriate to each one of us. And then God asks us to use the gifts wisely, to invest them so that they grow, be shared and enjoyed with others. And as so often with the parables Jesus told, there's also a meta-narrative here. The talents the master gives the servant are extremely valuable. Someone more maths-minded than me worked out that one talent was the equivalent of about 20 years' wages. So five talents was a hundred years' worth of wages. These are big gifts that the master is entrusting to his servants. It's almost like everything they own is a gift from the master. God gives us literally everything. We worship a lavish, abundantly generous God who gives us the most precious gift imaginable, God's unconditional love, relationship with God and transfigured human life. When you think that that is the gift given to you, how could you not do anything but invest it, go out and make relationships so that you can share it and be creative with it? Suddenly the behaviour of the one talent servant seems completely inexplicable. The question for us is how do we respond to the generosity of God? And yes, like the chips and cracks on my grandparents' glass and wooden birds, we may get damaged along the way. In fact, we probably will. We may be broken open and have the scars to show it. But those cracks will be part of the beautiful story that we can tell of God's love for us. Of God's being with us in the times when we felt all shiny and polished. But also in the times when we felt we'd been dropped or carelessly left too close to an edge that we fell off. If we can find the courage to take the risk to share the greatest gift we've been given, we will become a gift to others. That's what investment is all about. And truly there is nothing better than the gift that keeps on giving. What are you going to do with the gift that you've been given? Amen. We're now going to break into groups, but before we do so, we're going to listen to a piece of music and I'm going to put up a few questions for you to reflect on. And before that, before you shut down and start thinking you've got no gifts to share with others, let me tell you a story I heard another preacher tell. Antonio's voice was high and squeaky. He didn't make the auditions for the Cremona Boys Choir. When he took violin lessons, the neighbours persuaded his parents to make him stop. Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. His friends gave him a hard time because his only talent was whittling. When Antonio was older, he served as an apprentice to a violin maker. His knack for whittling grew into a skill of carving and his hobby became his craft. He worked patiently and faithfully. By the time he died, he left over 1,500 violins, each one bearing a label that read Antonio Stradivarius. They are the most sought-after violins in the world and sell for hundreds of thousands of euros each. 
Antonio couldn't sing or play or preach or teach, but his responsibility was to use his ability and his violins are still making beautiful music today.